The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. Nerdapalooza, the world's largest nerd music festival, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. This is Daniel Way, and uh, I'm sorry to say you're listening to Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. And this episode is all about comics. It's Nerdy Show Comic Show, our monthly show where we discuss the latest in comic book news, the books we're reading, and uh, sometimes we bring famous people onto the show. This time, not so much. We've got Brian. We have our, our host, Brian, who's, who's a co-founder of Nerdy Show. Therefore, he is a free pass. He's just another schmo, just like all of us in this Aww. game. Anyway, hi, I'm Kat. <laughs> and I'm Brian. Yeah, I'm Aaron. Hey, I'm Adam. Aaron is, of course, Aaron from A Comic Shop and A Comic Show, and Adam is the voice and face of Geekrest. Yes, I am. Well, you're a news blog. It's, for- a, it's a news blog. You know, it's, it's gossip, news, comic book, you know, everything on the web. We filter it all. We'll link to it on this episode's page if you want to check it out and stick their news feed up in your feed or pie hole. <laughs> I'm it's hungry. Feed with a friendly <laughs> I'm face. hungry now. <laughs> Uh, so the reason that we actually don't have a guest on this episode is not for lack of trying. This mm. episode, we're going to be talking about the comics we read and the comics we like and all that stuff. But we also are going to be talking about what's up with DC right now. And uh, we tried to get some people on here to talk about this, but it is a very political issue. And everybody that we hit up either didn't reply or declined. Right. I mean, we definitely hit up the people that were no longer writing for them. It's not yeah. like we just like asked people that were writing that, that complained to us <laughs> hey, about this or that. you want to your job? Come on our show. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Johns, you're on touchable right <laughs> we actually we should have tried jeff johns to see, yeah. to see what he did yeah, right. even if he blew smoke up our ass it would still be interesting yeah but um yeah dc has had a whole lot of uh craziness with the new 52 from the very start i mean before the start till all the way to now i mean there's a lot of weirdness and sometimes it's only beginning weirder with the the editorial mandates and interference and and just Head scratching crap. Yeah, a quick layman version. October fallish, two thousand eleven. September two thousand eleven. September. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. September two thousand eleven. <laughs> they decided that Never since forget. you know since there was nine nope. eleven ten years prior that they should do something equally as devastating. Yes. And uh, <laughs> we'll show you. <laughs> and and they they reset their entire universe with this really abstract idea of which pieces of continuity that happened before actually exist now and it still hasn't been defined and it's been both a good thing and a bad thing many vertigo things that were excised from uh, dc or back into dc like john constantine and swamp thing and there's been some great books but meanwhile there's been some terrible books and a lot of very suspicious weird stuff happening on the publishing side of it that's uh hurt writers careers and um definitely hurt a lot of feelings and dc looks like they've been abusing people and the whole thing is out of control it seems so it's something that we inevitably talk about every time Nerdy Show discusses comics, and we figured it was high time, especially given some recent circumstance, that we put an episode together that deals specifically with this issue. So there was some kind Which, of thing that happened recently where one of the uh, DC editorial staff said a bunch of crazy shit. Bob, uh, I think Harris. his last name is Harass. Harass. Yeah, yeah. Bob, Bob Harass. Mm. And um, I think Bobby Chase. And uh, Bob Harass, if you don't know, he was... Uh, 
Marvel editor in chief or editor back when uh, Marvel imploded and destroyed themselves. Yeah, back, they went um, bankrupt in the nineties. You know, yeah. uh, which is similar in the timeline. Uh, there at least some overlap when they pissed off all their main creators and they went and formed Image. So I mean, that's <laughs> there. There's a nice um, resume. And so, so this guy was steering the ship when everyone abandoned Marvel. Well, when it went bankrupt, for sure, when it was yeah. going down and, mm. and, you know, like Mark Wade had uh, nothing good to say about him, honestly. And, and I trust Mark Wade implicitly. I mean, he was there, you know, he was there, right. you know, and uh, he had one thing to say was uh, when the first X-Men movie was coming out, they had a chance to put an X-Men comic in TV Guide. And get in the hands of all these people. Like, I don't know what their circulation is, but it has to be. It's big. Um, it's higher than every comic combined, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> so um, what he put it was just some really convoluted BS time, different travel, crappy, oh. probably Lobdell, but don't quote me on that, <laughs> X-Men <laughs> book in there that was not for new people. And uh, essentially, that's what got um, got the uh, ultimate line started was a reaction to that the X-Men books were impenetrable when that movie came out. But um, it was because of Bob Harris, I guess. Har- I've been saying Harris. I don't harassment. Know. Like when he was first announced as DC editor-in-chief, it's like, oh, no, this isn't good. But what he said was, remember when Gail Simone got fired by email? Yeah. So there was a thing that happened recently, and it was very, it was very big in the comics world. Gail Simone, the female writer in comics, the best-known woman in comics, uh, who's been writing Batgirl since it was rebooted and was writing her as Oracle in Birds of Prey before that for years and years. Yes. Uh, it's critically acclaimed book. Everybody loves her. It's basically her book. The entire internet is behind her on this. And uh, they kicked her off via email. And that editor was actually an editor from Wizard Magazine. Which, yeah. um, which also folded. Which had a, um, well, it had a uh, stigma of being misogynist, of being, you know, not pro women in, into comics and women. You know, that mm. was Wizard's uh, stigma, was it was a frat boy boys club. Yeah. And um, I, I know I, I, I got Wizard. I mean, I like the fart <laughs> jokes and. But other than that, you know, you don't you don't need to be misogynistic to enjoy farts. Um, uh, I it's mean, uh, here, here. So they fired her through email, this guy, um, the editor, and she called the Internet and the Internet was like, what the hell are you guys doing? And uh, a few weeks later, they did a PR piece on comic book resources, which is called CBR sometimes. So now I call it CBPR because it's just <laughs> just. PR. I mean, it was just this canned interview where... So Bob, it was under the guise of being an interview, yes. but it was not. Yes. Uh, there was no follow-up questions that did anything. I mean, it, it just seemed like they sent some questions and they answered them and mailed them, emailed them back. They said that she was never actually fired from Batgirl. They were just waiting on plots, waiting <laughs> on her next plot. <laughs> and um, I heard that she was well far ahead on plots. No, and and um, Well, um, judging by the Tumblr blogs and tweets and everything I was reading from her, there was... <laughs> <laughs> there was no way that that was a misunderstanding. She was right. she was fired and was reacting with the, the sadness and trauma that one would expect. Well, the problem yeah. with the whole situation is that she was the one who made the announcement. Like, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't DC didn't make any kind of announcement. She's it, the one who told everyone that she was fired. She had received it through an email. Everyone got in an uproar. And then DC had to play catch up. DC wanted to do it sly, like um, that maybe she was falling behind a little bit. So they're going to put this Ray Fox guy on, on a two-issue fill-in. <laughs> And, you know, maybe she'll come back after that. But, you know, then she's like, no, I got an email saying I was fired. Yeah. I was fired. With shady. And I like Ray Fox. Uh, he won an Eisner for that one soul book. And I read his first fill in issue for Batgirl um, came out and it was all right. But I mean, it's actually 
dealing directly with a lot of plot threads that Gail was <laughs> right, writing. And, her. Uh, and there's no way he feels good so, about that. Yeah, she who knows what he was told? I mean, <laughs> yeah. he was a really nice guy that you know everybody loves in the comic community, and he's co-writing with uh, Jeff Lemire on uh, Just League Dark now. So I mean, mm. he's a good guy. I, it just seems like these editors are playing writers off each other and being really shady, and then lying when they get called on their stuff. And it's just like. The message to me that I took away from that beyond that it smells like shit is um, what are they telling the readers that are investing their money and their imagination and part of their identity in Batgirl or any other book that the writer that they're enjoying is only as good as their next plot they send into the editor's whim and Mm -hmm. that anything you're investing in any book of yourself the editor can can that writer at any time that there's no duty to the writer and in that to the reader. So why don't you just read all creator own books and say, screw you, you know? Yeah, but I have a, a really weird experience with DC and they kind of intersect with Gale. When, before <laughs> right. they had announced the 52 thing, they approached me about a uh, Firestorm uh, relaunch, you know, giving him his own series for a little while. And they told me when they called me, they said, hey, Brian, you know, we want to do Firestorm spitting out of uh, Blackest Night or whatever. Brightest uh, day. You, you are the list. <laughs> You're the only guy we got in mind. We think you'd be great for this book. So, you know, I started doing the pitch with, you know, the notes and so on, back and forth, start writing the script. Meanwhile, they approached Gail saying, oh, we've got these several people we're pitching for the book. They all know that we're all kind of pitching together and we're just going to pick one. So they were already lying to her about that, lying to me about it as well. This is just how they treat creators. It's very, very strange. Some months later, I was approached by a different editor to pick up another book after the 52 had begun. I was going to pick up after like issue seven or something. And they, they said, OK, yes, Brian, you will be pitching against other creators and we're going to pick one. But I really like your pitch. So I'm going to try to go for yours. But, you know, I'm working on it for a couple of weeks and it just occurred to me, why am I in this pit fight? You know, why, why are we even doing this? Just pick one, pick a guy, go with it. When Marvel calls, they say, hey, we want you to do this story. Yes or no. Right. <laughs> Why have this extra layer of putting us into blindfolded cage fights against one another as creators when nine times out of ten, they're just going to pick the guy who's got the, the biggest name recognition anyway? It sounds like The Bachelor, but with, you know, <laughs> comic book titles. And, and it sounds like they're operating under the idea that um, if you have to fight for it, you'll do a better job. Yeah, or something. The, 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 what they pitch it as is, oh, you know, the best, best story will win out, best story will win out. And maybe that happens and maybe it doesn't. But, but it's it, your job. It's an industry. You're not uh, you're not a migrant worker who's looking yeah, at like, you know, it, it, what it feels like as a creator. <laughs> you're not a mandingo. <laughs> it, it feels like it's this excuse so, so that the guys who are big, the, the Gail Simones and, and so on, they always have to worry. Oh, I don't really have a job. I keep I have to keep fighting. I have to keep proving. I have to keep working extra, extra hard when they've already gotten to a point where, you know, they've proven they're very good and they don't need to do this extra shark in a bloody cage and underwater fight, you know, just let them write. Yeah, if, mm-hmm. if they ever want to do that, it should be a novelty. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and like it should be part of the promotion and like the fans are, oh, okay, it's cool, I like this guy, oh, I like this pitch. Not right. all this weird, shady, behind the scenes, nobody knows who else is pitching. It's, it's just very, very strange. I think an editor should look at a writer's body of work and see what their voice is and see what they're good at and then pick them for what they want to do. You know, like, I think that you would have been great at Firestorm, seeing how sciencey you are. And, and, and um, if you do want to read uh, Brian's pitch for Firestorm, it's online. We'll link to it on this episode's page. Yeah, I wasn't talking about that specifically his pitch, but I'm just saying, like, if you look at, at Brian's work, you can say, yeah. oh, yeah, he could do a, a pretty awesome Firestorm that 
that is funny without, you know, being, you know, hip, like I'm a teenager, but it's funny and very science filled and, and just fun, just a really fun firestorm, which um, instead what we got was something really dark and drecky and just kind of convoluted. Really, Yeah, it I was mean, definitely convoluted, but it was also dark and I didn't feel anything of like what the spirit of firestorm is like and and my understanding of of that book was that you know it was originally billed as gail simone and ethan van skyver writing together yes and then i think i I believe i heard and correct me if i'm wrong gail simone said well i'm basically not writing the book i did pitch for it but they just stuck my name on it right because ethan doesn't have any reputation as a writer so um and then similarly many of the books are essentially ghost written by editors with the good name of the writer put out there and the and this this happened a lot early on i think they've backed up because there was an incident with uh, static shock was supposed to be written by john rosen but even from issue one it essentially was not written by him and he actually wasn't able to get work because of the bad reviews on that book so he had to publicly leave and then dc's telling him he's a bad guy for leaving the way he did but they were screwing him i don't know man it's just like when they decide they're going to launch 52 titles all at once it's not the normal process where there's more fan demand for a character from some other book or a creator has a really good pitch that they organically haven't submit it's like well here's the 52 cards and here's the characters we want to have basically the editors that pick what titles they want to have is the 52 i guess then pick the writers and then sort of write it it just seems so not what I want as a reader, you yeah. know. Tell me more about the uh, the CBR article because I, I remember you mentioning that to me earlier, and it, things that was were said not just about Gail Simone, but about the status quo of DC in general. Just seemed like the thing with um Rob Vendetti of you know he was solicited on on Constantine and then retroactively not on it, and they said, well, you know, we were going to give it, we're going to give it a big strong launch with um Jeff Lemire and Ray Fox, and it's like. And that, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. They're killing Constantine in the Hellblazer book and... In the Vertigo book and, you know, yeah. giving him his own series out of the Justice League Dark book. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of cool. And that can actually lead into that whole Alan Moore type of thing with the, um, what was it, Twilight of the Superheroes with the... They're all in their different houses, and Constantine's like a pivotal character. Which they're already, I mean, they're already setting him up. Yeah. So even in Amethyst, of all things, like has a huge bunch of uh, Constantine crossover. And that's cool, but, um, you know, I thought Rob Vendetti would be good for Constantine, and they said that he's not doing it because he's doing some other unnamed book. And also... Um, Did they announce him on that book, or had they already solicited with him on oh, that Oh, it was solicited was several solicited, issues. Yeah. Okay, wow. And, you know, and then also Ray Fox was solicited on issues that he was no longer going to do on Batgirl, at least one or something, and there was something else that was changed. It was all in the same article, and it's like, they're like, this happens all the time, you know, this is just standard operating procedures, and it's like, to me, that's insulting, because I've been ordering comics for, like, over a decade, and yes, this might happen all the time before it gets to solicitation, but not after it gets to solicitation, because then I start to see it as a fan. It kind of breaks everything down. Why should I even get the previews guide? Why should I even look at the solicitations if they're all subject to change? And with the 52 in general, especially from a fan's perspective, what does it even matter? If they act as though they have some kind of grand plan, they clearly don't. The characters don't organically fit together sometimes, and they're not even sold on their um, origins to the point that they change them when they reprint them in trades. Right. What was right. the thing with uh, Teen Titans recently? Yeah, the, it was just such a stupid nuance that Red Robin Tim Drake was never Robin, that he was always called Red Robin. I don't care. And then with um, Red Hood and the Outlaws, it's that there was never a previous incarnation of Teen Titans. Oh, and that was also something... Red Robin said was, we might be the shortest live incarnation of Teen Titans now, you know, because oh, everything's so terrible. 
And then they retroactively changed the narration in both that and Red Hood and the Outlaws to be like, there wasn't any earlier versions of the Teen Titans. Hmm. So, and I don't understand why um, Arsenal, Red Arrow, Roy Harper even exists when Wally doesn't exist and so many other characters don't exist when he's essentially the same age as Green Arrow. They de-aged Wally and now they have this sidekick that's the same age as him. And because he said, like, I'm the worst sidekick in history in Red Hood and the Outlaws, but... Was he ever a sidekick now? You have to be less than to be a sidekick. You can't be like that would be a partner if right. they were ever if they ever worked together. I think there was a zero issue where they explained that he met him up in jail and gave him an offer to help him out with something. But, you know, it was but, and, and, and the issue, the zero issues were also really convoluted. What, John Stewart or something? No, Guy Gardner. Oh, Guy Gardner. Yeah. yeah, his his origin, his original origin that he was a football coach was already referenced in the first issue of the new 52 and when he was going for a job as a high school football coach and he's like well you know i was a coach before i got this ring but then in a zero issue he was never a coach he was a police officer and then a failed police officer you know discredited and then he got his ring and there was really no wiggle room in that zero issue for um him to have been a coach at some point and when his father who's this retired drunk cop is just giving him like just giving him shit about how pathetic his life is and running him down that that you know he he took a bribe or he did this thing and he's off the force just run him down you know you would think he'd say like well the only thing you ever did good was teaching you know coaching football or you know when you were in in college you know and you know like his previous origin that was referenced in the new 52 and i admit i like that he was a an irish cop better Mm -hmm. than a football coach that got hit by a bus and had brain damage but um, <laughs> I, I admit I like that better. But it and shows, lost his ability to feel fear. <laughs> but it shows that no one was really, you know, steering the the ship from the inception. Yeah. And, then, well, and what's more, I mean, we can't name names or anything, but we know for for a fact that m- there's a good number of books that have suffered severe rewrites. That they yes. they have a guy writing these books, and and they don't trust them enough to let them do what they want to do. Instead, what you end up with is a lot of the first like twelve issues of many of these books felt watered down and just stagnant brian's a writer here's here's the thing like when a writer writes a story sometimes they like make a promise to the reader and they Mm -hmm. they fulfill that promise and if the editor lets them make the promise and okays that issue but then never lets them fulfill that promise they look like a crappy writer that has no payoff you know yeah and essentially that's gail simone with this thing with africa that she got this healing miracle in africa so she could walk again that's what everybody wanted the zero issue to be but instead, it was like, here's the first time I put on we're, a Batman costume. We're talking about Barbara Gordon right yes. now. Yes. Yeah. What's this healing Africa thing? From the very first issue, she referenced that the reason she's up walking around is because of some miracle in Africa. I totally missed that. I totally and, missed that too. And they've yeah. never explained how she's walking. They never went back to that. That's what I, like the zero issue solicitations was like, mysteries revealed, you know, questions answered. And instead it was here's the first time I ever put on a Batman costume because, uh, you know, I was at the wrong place at the wrong time and, you know, shenanigans. And it's like, okay, that's okay, but I don't really care. That could be like a two-page flashback in a regular issue, you know? (laughs) But then we have, like, specific things, like with New Guardians, with Kyle, and they're trying to streamline Kyle's origins. And we have some questions, like, was Hal ever Parallax? And, you know, how did that... Right, how much of the Green Lantern continuity, as we understand it, is legit? Here's a one direct question. Who killed Alex, Kyle's girlfriend, when he first got the ring that he's felt guilt about his whole career? Which defines his character. Who who killed his Gwen Stacy for, you know, because he's basically a Peter Parker clone. I mean, he lives in New York. He's an artist (laughs) instead of a photographer. 
his great power comes great responsibility and his girlfriend died. But who killed his girlfriend? Because Major Force doesn't exist. So they have this zero issue where they reference his girlfriend dying, but they didn't show who it was. And, you know, how dare they do this zero month with mysteries revealed when they won't even let them reveal mysteries? Wasn't a big question that everyone was looking forward to was Damian Wayne, Batman, the whole timeline in the new 52. Yeah, and that made that made no sense. And they didn't touch on anything. Like, how is he that old? Yeah, but you know, missed opportunity. Some of that is fanboy nitpicking, but some of it is that they won't let the writers write the story. Yeah, yeah, and why not? You know, why not tell the stories? At this point, over a year into this, why haven't they decided to hash out definitively what it is they want to do? Even if they had to make the change over to the new fifty two super quick, if they're like, no, we really need to do this now. We got to strike while the iron's hot. It's time. September eleventh is you know this is this date doesn't grow on trees we have to do it now <laughs> right. when, when america is most vulnerable and it works <laughs> and it, <laughs> you know if, if they had to do that then why a year later have they not sorted out their house yet but well, you know I, I just take specific books and i don't know what it is about that edge line that so many of those books are so terrible like putting vertigo into um the dc universe awesome those things are great things that have a great history and are just really cool characters but you take the edge which is essentially Wildstorm, and put it in the dc universe they had a couple runs of a couple titles with a couple characters that were okay because the writers kicked ass alan moore or warren ellis or mark miller you know but you take those characters out of the 90s that really have nothing to them that they were just good little doodles jim lee drew and you don't let a writer do whatever he wants to do then you just have this watered down crap and it's just like that's not edgy why are you calling it the edge nathan edmondson who did grifter you take nathan edmondson on his um who is jake ellis dude i even forgot that that edge branding even existed yeah it's but but you read nathan edmondson on who is jake ellis and you get this like nathan edmondson is an incredible writer when it comes to like espionage and covert ops yeah but he has this voice this like verb about him and just a swagger that that he has with his right like he has this specific swagger you feel like the title character is just a badass, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he's doing Grifter is like a perfect match for him in theory. Oh, yeah. I but mean, then, it was a brilliant pairing. But then it concept. was, I, I couldn't even get into it. And I like him as a writer a lot. And then he was off the book and they put Rob Liefeld on it and then it gets canceled. Yeah. But why? Because it's, it's definitely, all I can say is knowing his body of work, it wasn't his fault. Right. Like, what is going on here? Why can't you hire a writer for what they do well and then let them do it well? You know, you don't see them micromanaging artists that way. Like, you hire um, Ethan Van Skyver and it's like, could you do this more cartoony? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it just doesn't happen. That's one of the big differences now between Marvel and DC is Marvel seems to be playing uh, musical chairs with their artists, whereas DC is doing the same thing with their writers. And when you do that with writers, you need to let them find their voice for the characters, for the story, for the plot, everything. And they and don't seem to be giving the it. fans and then the fans right. support it. I mean, when books are canceled, being billed as ongoing and they don't even reach their ninth issue. It's like, well, how much of a commitment is there to the characters or, you know, why'd they even launch it? Why'd they even launch it in the yeah. first place? Basically, yeah. what was the strongly plan? about it? You, you know, in some industries, it, you can play the game of throw shit on the wall until it sticks. But other That's, ones, especially something as fledgling still and dangerous as far as money goes with as the comic book industry you can't play that game everything needs to be a sure bet come the fuck on Mm. i suppose we uh the other the other note to hit on i guess is why i mean you know if it's like this there's no solution for it it's broken is there anything can do aside from let them crash and burn and if they do now that uh disney owns marvel and warner brothers owns dc the original feeling was if one of the big two went belly up 
the entire industry would collapse because it relies specifically on those two operating in tandem. So well, I have a, I have a solution. Mm. We do an armed insurrection and we install Mark Wade as editor in chief. Oh, yes. DC. <laughs> that is a man who would get like, the let, job Let's just done. go medieval. Let's go Viking style. Let's just do it. Didn't he publicly say he turned down the job as editor in chief of DC for the new for DC? I, well, we should force him to do it. I'm, I'm sure he turned it down, but I thought it was public that he did. Him under duress would still be doing a better job. You know, that, that just brings up the, the 52 as not the new 52, but 52, where it was Mark Wade and uh, Rucka, mm-hmm. who's no longer with DC and Johns and uh, Grant Morrison. And just how awesome that was that those creators had total freedom. And um, well, I heard that the deal was a little perturbed that they weren't telling the story that he wanted them to tell. Of, More than a little perturbed, I would say. Yeah, that uh, he, he wanted the story infuriated. of, you know, the, the year that um was this gap and um instead they were telling a a great story about the characters that they were writing about in that year so basically that was also an editorial thing where those one year later titles they couldn't flash back to anything that happened in that year gap because that was what 52 was for that's not what the writers thought it was for they weren't doing that so mm-hmm. then they had to do that world war three like four issue miniseries which they played up and it was awful <laughs> to, and it was, it was just like here's a panel of what hawkman was doing here's the panel of what this was and it's like oh my god this is the worst payoff ever but um <laughs> it's just so weird yeah a lot of what's going on in dc just feels like appeasing warner brothers like these are these really strange decisions and corporate-wide philosophies that if you view them through the lens of well what would a billionaire hollywood clueless guy think well he would probably think that this was the right way to go i was thinking the exact same thing they seem to be catering more to warner brothers than ever before especially yeah like the entire 52 that just coming out of nowhere oh we're gonna start all over it's gonna be a brand new direction of the 90s you know (laughs) that sounds like what you're trying to say to save your job as a high level dc guy so that (laughs) warner brothers doesn't fire you we were constantly slagging sales for the last decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense because when in the 90s when I was reading comics, what I liked was the Vertigo stuff. So, of course, I liked the DC Dark part because yeah. that was the part of the 90s that they put in and there. And for the most part, that's the part that's working right, right now. <laughs> the 90s wasn't all bad, just 90% of just, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when you say you t- they take notes from like Hollywood executives, I mean, you got to imagine... When the new 52 was coming out, you know, the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises was was strong and they seemed to ride the waves of press. Like, what was it? The Superman Wonder Woman kiss. Their numbers were huge. Uh, the gay Green Lantern, the media. I mean, the media seems to be driving their direction in some cases. I know they're pushing Superman huge in 2013 because the movie's coming out. Maybe the PR Hollywood people want the comic book people to be more PR aware and have more BS PR. It, <laughs> Basically. It all, it all kind of reminds me of that story Kevin Smith has about uh, when he was writing the script for uh, Tim Burton's Superman and, that, and had that long, <laughs> weird night where some executive was telling him how he needed to fight a giant spy. <laughs> and then that giant spider sequence ended up being in wild wild west because the same guy was involved and he had this hair yeah. he as a producer had this hair-brained idea about the best thing would be a giant spider fight no uh, one could argue no yeah one could argue. yeah well that's why we have the uh indiana jones inside the the fridge that was an idea for like how they're going to survive in back to the future it was originally going to be they needed an atom bomb to go off to time travel because spielberg <laughs> just put that in was you know he was just convinced oh this is a great idea this is a great idea he held on to that for 30 years and put it into <laughs> Oh my God. I saw an interview where he denied that. He said George Lucas presented him with a dossier of information of why it was feasible and he was against it. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe I'm confusing names, but yeah, one of these idiots. (laughs) (laughs) I hung on to this idea for 30 years. 
it's weird because you think, well, all these decisions that DC is doing are so convoluted as far as plot structure goes and everything, and even character ideas. Like, why are they marketable? Why is Red Hood and the Outlaws marketable? It's a Batman character with an extremely complicated backstory that the chances are, if anybody knows a version of it, it's only from a direct-to-video animated film. (laughs) And a Teen Titan character who's no longer a teenager... And Green Arrow's sidekick, and sure, why not? The most exposure he's gotten has been in Young Justice, and apparently that's that upsets them too, because who the fuck knows what's going on well, with that? That's the other thing. They called all the teenage books the Young Justice family of books for the New 52, but... They called them that? Yeah, they called oh it Young God. Justice, but it had nothing to do with Young Justice, and some of them were in the future with Legion, and then it's like Blue Beetle, because he's young, and... Then it's the Teen Titans, and it's like, what are you talking about? This is not a cohesive family of books. And it should have been Young Justice. They should have had Young Justice instead of Teen Titans, and it should have been a lot like that. I mean, and it should have been a lot like the show because that would have at least given them some fucking focus. That's right. the that's the other thing. Like you know, a show writer for the New Fifty Two, and then if they had some time to launch into it, and it must be that DC is so far down on the hill of Warner Brothers, you got too many chefs in the kitchen. You get this big landfill of ideas, and there must be so far down on the trickle down that all they get are these bizarre things that they're so backwards. They must come from a pit somewhere that someone's giving to a uh, to like a corporate level person but the idea itself makes so little sense <laughs> it's hard to rationalize it from a money-making standpoint i think marvel kind of has the same relationship with disney as far as that big corporate structure but there's they're much better at communicating and trusting certain individuals to lead whether it be joss whedon or uh, kevin Feige. well and there, I, there's I, a lot of micromanaging i think that uh you know disney bought marvel because they saw that like this place has a lot of great ideas and it works. And they have and focus. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's an IP farm for uh, Disney to make some profit off of boys instead of princesses. They're, <laughs> they're smart enough to be sort of hands-off. They're getting more involved. But it's not like a DC. There is definitely a, just a feeling of, of severe micromanagement at DC. Like, even when I was just pitching and starting to write the script, it got to the point where I just stopped asking questions uh, because it would take a week to get an answer. <laughs> because any question I had about the series or, or anything... Tone, a joke, continuity. You know, I'd send it to the editor, and the editor would say, Oh, this sounds great. Let me run it upstairs. And then three to seven days later, I get an answer. It was as if the editor himself had no input or was just there to ferry emails being back micromanaged to some, <laughs> some phantom uh, upstairs. Was, wow. And it's Wait. my understanding that, that was pretty, that's pretty standard for DC these days. Someone should Photoshop the faces of like Dan Dio and Bob Harris and the, as the Guardians, you know, now that they're insane. You know? <laughs> <That'd be laughs> they actually want all their writers to be like the Third Army. You know, they can still have eyes, but they don't have a mouth mm. anymore. And they just carry out their bidding. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what Jeff Johns is basically it's trapped in, in his position, and he's just trying to express that from the inside. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's about time we had a song break. What we got here is a track by DJ Cutman called Nights. He uh, recently took a month and a half hiatus from music and just came back with a redo of this classic Sega tune.
Welcome back to Nerdy Show. This is an episode of Nerdy Show Comic Show. We're talking all about comics, and uh, we just got done, kind of, we'll, I'm sure we'll come back to it, we just got done spending some time uh, with DC's New 52 and everything that's broken about it. Not to keep darkening the, the doorstep here, but there is another current issue with DC that's uh, got a lot of buzz online. A lot of people scratching their head. Yeah, right? and that is the issue of Orson Scott Card writing Superman. If I understand correctly, it's not Superman Superman, it's a web-first Superman series of some kind. Adventures of Superman. Is it like an anthology type of I thing? Thought it was like a, yeah, I thought it was like a web-based. Well, they all online. eventually get published, right, like Amikami right. and whatnot. But. When I think of Superman, I think raging homophobia. Right. The issue with Orson Scott Card, and this is something that we've brought up in a past episodes of Nerdy Show Book Club, is... Um, Ender's Game is one of the best books I've ever read, and uh, it shows a lot of openness and a lot of uh, messages about uh, about working with other people and sorting out differences and everything. But somehow, Orson Scott Card, the guy who wrote that, matured into this extremely homophobic and gay-bashing Mormon. And, you know, I don't want his religion to define him and everything, but he does use that as a, uh, a rallying cry for why he disagrees vehemently with the But here's he the does. distinction. I know of Mormon artists like Ethan and um, Mike Allred that um yeah. are great you know That's they don't true. they don't have those views but they're artists not writers you yeah. know so it's weird that's a really good point basically uh the situation with card is that his books with notable exceptions the newer they are the more they actually take from his really skewed beliefs about the world and everything like uh the need to squirt out babies constantly women being in subservient roles and uh gays being uh wrong mostly because of in order to you know fulfill your destiny as a human with god as always you know whether you mention him or not he's always there yeah. uh you have to you know uh have male to female sex and everything else is you know bad news and so he he's he's a he's a big loud mouth and has said a lot of really shitty things and um these days he's generally labeled as a hate monger and um here he is writing superman right when i did a little bit of research on it which means um i saw the people yelling at each other in the um forum of bleeding cool and um <laughs> and i researched I clicked on some of the links that, you know, the ones that were actually trying to prove their point with like links and whatnot. Orson Scott Card has recanted most of his worst statements he's made. He's, well, that's good. But no, I mean, like <laughs> I've, I've seen it in interviews where he's said like, well, I didn't really mean it this way and I don't believe this anymore. But he's on the board of that group. Jeez, I don't remember the um, the three letter um, thing, but it's a. Uh, protection of marriage group that actually oh, yeah. campaigns and uh, gets donations to um, actively funnel money into elections to have uh, amendments against gay marriage. He's on the board there. So, I mean, if you don't agree with that, I don't think you'd want to support him. But that group itself, their whole thing is just uh, gay should be able to do whatever they want with their lives other than get married because that's defining marriage for the rest of the world. That's somewhat watered down and benign. And if that was, you know, all it is, that's fine. But no, they're they're actively campaigning. They're actively trying yeah, to working against progress. Essentially. So to me, th there's a thing where, you know, someone can have a personal opinion, even as a writer or something, they can have a personal opinion. But the issue with card is that it does, in fact, come out in his work. Also, that he's on a board yeah. that is soliciting and getting money to actively campaign and organize and put money into places where they think the electorate is very much able to be turned to vote an anti-gay amendment. That yeah. they, they do the research and they say, this state and this thing, and we put money in these these markets, 
we can win this against um, yeah. gay marriage, and that he's on the board he, for that. So Right. And Marvel has worked with Card in the past. They've basically created graphic novel versions with him of uh, most of the entire chronology of Ender's Game and all of its respective books. Plus, he wrote two volumes of um, Ultimate, Ultimate Iron, Iron Man. Man. Yeah. And uh, here's my theory on that. That was kind of before Twitter. It was it was definitely it was definitely on the cusp there, and I feel like they very quietly, though the Ender's Game things were ended only a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I feel like they very quietly uh, unfriended him. Right. Yeah. Uh, part of the DC response, and they're not wrong to respond in this way, is you know, let's the personal feelings or whatever of any creative talent does not reflect a larger DC family, etc. But this is a very networked age, you know, especially if you're hiring a guy based on his uh, personal cachet. The personal beliefs are kind of an issue, whether or not they actually show up in the thing. They are going to influence people because we are so socially networked and, and we have much easier access to this kind of information. Like 10 years ago, it may not have really come up. It may not have been an issue. But now uh, it's. It's hard to ignore. Mm. And it's the same DC that's gotten free press and worked the different um, gay advocacy press with the Alan Scott stuff and with the fact that, you know, Batwoman's a lesbian and whatnot, that they get press based on this stuff. And and then the readers, the fans have this idea that this is a new DC. This is a DC that is supportive of gay and lesbians. And I know it's the writer's personal beliefs, and I know that, but still... I think that's another thing of why it just kind of went like, what the heck is going and on? It's, I thought it's, for they, me, they thought they won that battle. For with me, DC. It's, it's kind of a, a, a complicated issue. Rich Johnson posted a, a nice piece about the announcement on Bleeding Cool, where he mentioned that lots of people had contacted him asking him to um, a support or an active protest against Card uh, writing the book. But essentially, that would be saying this person believes one thing, we should then, as a mob, demand that that the company fire that person. That's essentially what everybody wanted. Get this guy fired. Yeah. He does, He believes this, which, if it was any other, like, issue, if it was something, you know, the table was turned and it was, say, a, a liberal issue or something, or, like, this guy believes in equal marriage. Get him fired. I mean, yeah. we don't really live in that climate, but we don't know. Things change. It would be a bad precedent to set. On the other hand, well, people wanted Rush Limbaugh fired from Monday Night Football, and they had that happen. Because, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just saying. Like, and I don't even get the reference. I mean, I Monday know Night Rush, Football, Rush Limbaugh was an announcer on that for a little while. I didn't know and, that. And they, he could hold in the racism for about two weeks. <laughs> wow. And then it started flying. <laughs> yeah. Well, he essentially said, like, this quarterback isn't shit. The only reason that uh, anyone even is talking about him is because he's black. <laughs> no, like seriously, I'm I'm it, paraphrasing, but th- that's what happened. Wow. Okay. Charming. Uh, yeah. So it's. A, I feel that the issue is made a little bit more difficult by it being his personal beliefs. I want equality in this country. I want us all to be fair to everybody. But I know there's a couple reasons it's sensitive. One, it's Superman. He's supposed to stand right. for all of us. He's supposed to be inclusive and. We want him to be a dynamic character, but ultimately he's a character who still has to have this message that, you know, he is fighting for truth, justice, in the American way. Yeah, but he's also the ultimate immigrant, too, yeah. you know, so he should be sensitive to those things, even not being this iconic thing, just intrinsic to his character as a fictional character. Mm. We, who knows? It was very likely that the issue doesn't even come up in the story. Yeah, I'd bet money that nothing homosexual yeah. comes up in the entire run. Yeah, all we know is he's writing the damn thing. But <laughs> I do agree that a boycott of saying, like, I'm not going to buy this, that's fine. You know, that's, that's everybody's right. But to actively organize to get him fired 
that's not something that I would want to do because I don't right. really care to do that. But um, I question DC in uh, hiring him in the first place for, yeah, it you really, know, it really speaks to a tone deafness, right? Especially yeah. when it's the same DC that had all over the entire media that Green Lantern's gay with Alan Scott. Mm-hmm. And then um, what, <laughs> you know, like, where were they just thinking like Marvel had them? We're going to have them now, you know, Goose and Gander. Our summit too. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I, I have talked to um, some homosexual friends of mine or associates. Uh, they should really talk. Well, to- uh, Eric and Oral of Flame On work at a comic shop, your store. So right. there's that. And and others uh, don't care. Like um, question from Flame On. Yeah. He doesn't care. He says he's still going to read that and, and get it. And this is what he said. He said he hasn't eaten at Chick-fil-A in seven years, but he likes Superman and he wants to read it. And it's more than just the writer. It's also the artist. And he's going to do it. And he doesn't care. Oh. And I was like, OK, I, I guess that's his prerogative. But I know, but it's weird. I mean, <laughs> I want to see how the Ender's Game movie turns out. But unless I get press passes, I'm not going to give that motherfucker any of my fucking money. <laughs> it's got Harrison fucking Ford in it as General Graf. And it's one of my favorite yeah. books ever. But I'm not going to see the movie if I have to give him any fucking money. What if, what if I pay for your ticket? Then no one is, no one is giving him money on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is free or it is no deal. We could sneak in. Yeah. I haven't done that in years. That'd I be know, great. That's dangerous. Cool. High school. High school. High school. High school. High school. We can even pretend to be homophobic just like in high school. Oh, let us uh, for free. I hate them. You <laughs> gross. Like this has been really dreary so far. We're talking about some dark stuff. Yeah, this let's, is not even fun. Let's, let's, <laughs> I'm, so I'm depressed. Right let's cheer this episode the fuck up. Uh, let's talk about books we like and books we're reading oh, right yeah. now. That's a, a okay. good thing to cheer us up. Hawkeye. Oh, my lord. Oh, Hawkeye's fuck amazing. Me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if you're not reading Hawkeye and you have any inclination yeah, to it, right. yeah, just, just, it doesn't matter what you like. Just read Hawkeye. And I it doesn't you, matter what issue. Who cares if you can't? Get, every issue is self-contained. There was a two, one that was a two-part. Everything else is self-contained. Get any issue you see on the shelf at any store you go to and just buy that one and read mm-hmm. it. Yeah, man, Hawkeye is so good. I mean, essentially, even from the first page where it's like, you know, this is a Hawkeye. He's an Avenger. This is what he does when he's not being an Avenger. It's like, I can wrap my head around that. You, you know, know right? you, you don't have to like the character of Hawkeye and be like, well, he's just, he's just a it's purple better banana. if you hate him. Yeah, it, <laughs> that is true. It's got incredible art, really great design, and the writing is so sharp. It's, it's definitely more of a social story. The heroism is street level. Clint is like very confessional. Like um, he does make wrong choices. I think he, he, he hates himself. He's self-loathing, but, he's but, but he's not delusional. Like he knows that he's an asshole. Like he knows, Clint knows he's an asshole and he has to consciously decide not to be an asshole whenever he and makes that decision it, do, it doesn't wallow in it right right he, it's, it's on the move fun like he's like you know i always hook up with my female partner so i'm going to pick <laughs> a female partner that's underage so i can't hook up with her you know i mean like and he actually has that conversation like that he actually is confessional and admits that you know that's cool. It is such a good book. And the uh, the, the hurricane issue uh, in, in oh, New York, dealing with all the flooding and everything. And uh, New Jersey. And New Jersey, yes. It was really, really brilliant. I loved that issue. Not only with a self-contained issue, it was two stories in one. And they, they dovetailed together, you know, with just that story with the, the dude and his dad and, and the dead mom and the flooding. And oh, my God. Did all the proceeds go to the... Uh... 
<laughs> leaf effort too, uh, fractions royalties yeah. go to it but it almost brought me to tears when that old the the son was like now i don't have anything left that my mother loved and hawkeye's like well she loved your dad dude why don't yeah. you go you know give him a hug or something <laughs> it was just so powerful. powerful and like and to me this is a template for what the underdog character of a big team solo book should do if you have a solo book for a character like hawkeye it better be emotional. It better be small. It better be real. Because the big stuff, the larger than life stuff, is the Avengers, is the Justice League. Yeah. And to me, this is a perfect template for what you should do. You know, like, oh, he's a third string character. He doesn't deserve his own book. Well, have the book reflect that. You yeah. know, make it real. Yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman, if you say something positive about DC books, Wonder Woman by Azarello with uh, Cliff Chiang on art most of the time, if not all the time. Uh, all the important issues. It is just, it is great. It is really great. I posted something on uh, on Tumblr a couple months ago that was really exciting. The past two issues, they've had a character in here called Milan, who is an homage to punk rocker Wesley Willis, who is this um, six foot five obese black schizophrenic from Chicago who used to do these really intricate uh, paintings, and uh, Jello Biafra picked him up, and uh, they started doing music together, and he's like, he's a, a cult hero he died back in 2003 there's a brilliant documentary about him the best uh, music documentary i've ever seen actually uh called wesley willis's joyrides that we'll link to on this episode's page that uh, it's all about him but he's in this book written in as a character and it's clearly done with a lot of love for who he was as a person and the way he spoke is very particular and he used a lot of these very specific words to to reference things and it's all in this book like they've basically they made him a god a they, new god a new god yeah they, they made this uh this misunderstood legendary musician a god in dc continuity and that is fucking cool that's cool and that's like azarello i i never have a question that he's doing whatever he wants to do with wonder woman you know like so far they haven't shoehorned superman coming in there to to kiss her in that book you know like smooch <laughs> why can't they do that you know all over right <laughs> <laughs> and what else is great though? Mm, what is, what's great aside from atomic robo oh i got nothing <laughs> um, Young Avengers issue one was really good with uh, Kieran Gillen and um, his dude from a uh, phonogram. McKelvey? Yeah, McKelvey. Yeah. Uh, it felt young and hip, but not trying to be young and hip. It just felt like the cool kids. Like when you were young, <laughs> you remember like the kids that were trying to, to be hip were like the ones that everyone's like, oh, what's wrong with him? Yeah. He's trying so hard. <laughs> what's wrong with Aaron? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm like, what? I'm doing all the right things. I'm saying all the right stuff. You know, why don't you accept me? But, you know, so I get that from a lot of the, the teenage stuff, especially um, the stuff Lobdell writes. But, um, you know, with this, I mean, they seem like the cool, charismatic teenagers teenagers that people would want to hang out with right it, it's not just done to be like well they're teenagers so they're going to talk like this and this is all you know whatever it's it really feels real and fun and it has its own like personality and this is hot on the heels of Dylan's incredible run with Journey to Mystery and Young Loki, who is in I, this book. I mean, Jesus, I don't ever want the old cliche Loki to ever, ever come back. This character is so good. If they ever get rid of him, I will just I will cry forever. He's the ringleader in this book, though. It hasn't really come to fruition yet. But um, he said um, any Avengers group needs a Loki to bring them together. Right. Uh, referencing, you know, <laughs> the beginning of the Avengers. And I don't think it's any coincidence that they had O'Malley do the variant cover that it does have a feel kind of like Scott Pilgrim. Like, you know, it's its own unique thing that really these teenagers are teenagers. And man, some bad shit happens to these characters. <laughs> if you have history with them, you like them a lot already. And 
Oh man, <laughs> feel really yeah, bad for but, these kids. But thinking back uh, <laughs> in my life, some bad shit happened to me when I was a teenager. Mm. I mean, it's supposed to. <laughs> you make bad choices. <laughs> you make, you make bad, bad choices. choices. <laughs> it, it might it might not have been this world ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, he fixed it. It is when you're 16. <laughs> yeah, everything's the end of the world. Um, Ghostbusters got uh, relaunched the new number one, which is pretty exciting. I can't ever not say really wonderful things about that book, and neither can Brian. Most of the time, you wrote the uh, the intro to the first volume i don't think i said anything nice in it though well you, you did but it's in the kind of passive aggressive way you got that's where right you were being real mean but you really meant to be real nice good, good work uh idw recently did a mars attacks event where they had the mars attacks aliens invade various books and the ghostbusters one was pretty cool it's a one shot because it was the real ghostbusters it, it wasn't the host films and video game world that Burnham's playing with. It was the, the cartoon show. It even had cutaways to the, the talking ghost being like, we now return to the, the real Ghostbusters. Like, awesome. It's a lot of fun. And in fact, they're actually doing real Ghostbusters backup short stories in the new series, which is hilarious. That works with the Mars Attack stuff. It really worked really well to have the, the cartoon stuff because, you know... Uh, honestly, if they'd done it in the regular book, I would have been bummed. But with, with, um, <laughs> with Transformers one-shot, they did the Transformers cartoon show, not the Transformers Transformers continuity and yeah. that was really fun if you're gonna you know play around with transmedia properties and everything like that it's great to be able to use the full gamut of what they could represent I think that that's one of the things that IDW does best yeah, they, yeah who they, is, who's making these deals because it's working out really well <laughs> <laughs> they're slowly uh, releasing all the turtle stuff from every continuity about and, time. Yeah, man, it, they're killing it. They're doing a good goddamn job. And, you know, Lock and Key's uh, final volume just started recently. Man, that, that story is just incredible. If you haven't read Lock, Lock and Key ever, it's one of those books that I, I can't recommend enough. It's in a class with Why the Last Man and all that. You need to read Lock and Key. It's a book that I can suggest to anybody at the comic shop and they come back and thank me. You know, it's a book that I, I suggested my wife read and she actually read it and she wants all the volumes and read them. And then she's like, where's the new issues? I'm like, gotta wait like everyone else <laughs> now you know no. I mean, and you guys been reading um fury my war gone by by garth ennis i only read getting i read the first trade and i thought it was pretty awesome that's the only place you're getting that uh garth ennis universe anymore yeah and my god it is so good the first volume was playing around with the uh bay of pigs uh cuban missile crisis uh timeline and uh and right now they're in the heat of uh the vietnam war by issue eight but you watch basically you watch the war develop from a political and military side of things through the through the eyes of Nick Fury, the most badass curmudgeon in the Marvel Universe. Um, you know, you see him get drunk and get laid and get shot and everything you'd want, but it also has this incredibly well-informed political intrigue. And now he's in Nam with Frank Castle and... Uh, oh, perfect. Like, it doesn't... It really doesn't get better than this as far Barracuda as Dark Those right? are some of my favorite books. Fuck, Barracuda is in this too? I, I thought he... Oh. I, maybe it was just in the solicitation and isn't out yet, but I heard Barracuda was going to be in that. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's happened yet because it hasn't. I'm not current. I, I didn't. On it, I, didn't <laughs> I, 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 I think I'm current. I, I just, Jesus, that's incredible. If I can throw it out there, I've been digging Bedlam. Oh yeah, and Manhattan Projects going strong, and I don't even know how to describe that book because, well, uh, I, I call it science porn. It's a <laughs> delicious mind fucking. Oh, it's science just, porn does sound 
like an appropriate spawn. <laughs> yeah. Brian, have you, have you read Manhattan Projects? No. It's it's like the uh, Atomic Robo is the all ages action adventure science book. And this is the uh, it's like it's on the same spectrum, but tilted over into the children must never read this yeah. category. <laughs> you see, you know, like Werner von Braun is a serious Nazi still, despite who he's working for. And he's got a giant robot arm and. You watch, uh, basically you watch famous, uh, intelligent people kill each other and yeah. do terrible things and be raging psychopaths. Alternate history, but it's got a great collaboration, great art, great color, great. Did you read the most recent issue? Uh, no, I'm, I'm Oh, because everything's behind. okay now because JFK's president. <laughs> I'm betting everything okay now is not okay in the least. Well, you know, he's, uh, talking like it is, you know, with, mm. and, and they're behind the scenes like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> None of this is true. <laughs> you know, this is awful. Who cares if you go to the moon? That's all just window dressing. You know, we're we're really gonna be at war with these ridiculous aliens. So you know, I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? But, <laughs> the whole death of the family just wrapped up. Yeah, Scott Snyder, you know, is pretty much running Batman County, and, and I think with, it's with called Grand- Gotham County, with, yeah, it's <laughs> Gotham more. City that, and Gotham County. That works. That's more clever. Eat me. <laughs> Uh, some of the reactions to the finale, are we going to spoil or not spoil? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, Aaron. I think it might be still a little too soon. Okay. Don't spoil. But some people were like, you know, they, they, they didn't get what they wanted. They wanted something bigger. There. And it's like, Joker shouldn't right. be predictable. Joker shouldn't do what you expect. You know, a joke works because you think it's going one way and it goes another way. You know, mm. it's like the punchline. And the title of that issue is called Punchline. So I get that people wanted to see some other things. But then when I ask people, like, what do you think Joker had planned? Because yeah, Batman right. foiled his plan. They're like, well, it doesn't make any sense that Joker did this. It's like, what do you think he had planned? If Batman would have zigged instead of zagged, what would have happened? Mm. That's what Joker wanted. So, you know, do you want Batman to, to always win? Or do you want Joker to do terrible things to all the characters? You know, like, I mean, you can't have both. <laughs> Say what so, you will about the outcome. This is one of the best multi-issued joker story arcs oh and and Very it, long at time. least metaphorically it is the death of the family and and it's going to be one of those batman milestones there's no no way around it see dc does still do things that are of merit but it's only when they let their authors work their magic yeah they'll fire snyder next week <laughs> uh, brian i think some big news about robo just officially uh hit the wind are we allowed to talk about the uh, atomic robo animated short and when people are going to get to see it uh, all I can say is that it will be mid-2013. Well, at the very least, what we can tell you is that uh, Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts, our Atomic Robo commentary podcast series, is continuing. We did all of Volume 7, an issue-by-issue commentary with both Brian and Scott. You can check it out at nerdyshow.com slash atomicrobo. And we like doing it so much that we're gradually doing the entire series. Essentially, podcast commentary for every issue, blow by blow with the writer and artist. And Uh, on Free Comic Book Day Comic Shop, we'll have so many Atomic Robo ones, we are not going to run out. And we might (laughs) even have other special Atomic Robo stuff. For free comic That sounds game. really cool, and I would like to go to a comic shop if I were in the Orlando area. <laughs> Some people and I was are listening to this. Some people are. <laughs> well, you know, they've been called one of the uh, the best places to take people from out of town. Basically, if you're ever in the Orlando area, going to mm. Disney World or, or what have Disney you, World. Uh, you should probably stop at a comic shop, and not just because the cool people from Nerdy Show hang out there. And we're, we're making this sound like a plug. We actually didn't intend to do that at all. <laughs> no, I was. But, I was actually the awesome. comic shop is how very easy it is to get there. <laughs> anyway, this week actually we, we've got uh, the first 
issue of Atomic Robo covered in the new episode of Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts. So if you're down with Atomic Robo, you're definitely going to want to check that out. And if you're not down with Atomic Robo, get get down. Yeah, check it out. It's free. Or drop dead. (laughs) Another recent news, as far as nerdy show and comics go, we are uh, hard at work on issue two of Dungeons and Doritos. Don't have a specific release date yet, but we do hope to have a little something ready by Megacon in March. Whether it'll be the whole issue or not, we can't say. And we also have the uh, the long-awaited uh, 12-page mini-comic, uh, Chair's Last Stand, which is uh, about uh, Chair's final confrontation with Galadriel. And uh, that is also supposed to be out very soon, and it will be free and online. Though we will have a very limited physical edition. I prefer to have a physical copy. Well, then, you <laughs> oh, better act fast when it, when it comes out. It, 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 it'll go up in value. <laughs> Send my kids to college. Let's hope so. Let's hope that a Dungeons & Doritos mini-comic is relevant enough that it will go up in value. That's a nice feather in my cap. No, no. Did you just... I, <laughs> not, not intentional. That is the worst pun you've ever made. <laughs> made, made my skin crawl. Was not, was not an you intentional pun. You better not pun. edit that out. Leave I, it I, in. I will leave it in. <laughs> That's so what that she everyone said. may know my shame. That's <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we should also mention that a comic book uh, just had its what fourth issue out. Yeah, a, a comic book is an anthology book, and it's featured uh, works from Hex and Tony. And uh, this new one features Doug from Ghostbusters Resurrection uh, wrote a piece, as well as John Laval, our live producer, did a piece in it. So it's it's an incredible uh, collection of creative work. And um, yeah, it's guys- called a uh, Bad Romance, and it's basically a romance mashup. So it's like romance horror romance crime romance you know whatever but it i guarantee you it is all bad so <laughs> nothing there's gonna be no lovey-dovey anything it's all terrible because that's what romance is so uh check that out we'll have a link to where you can pick that up um so let me give shout outs to everybody before we go i gotta give some shout outs to some amazing people who've supported the show it's february and it's a short month and we've already <laughs> we've already met our initial goal for the month we require 300 dollars to run every month because we are a listener supported podcast all this entire network of podcasts made possible by you directly. So we've made our initial goal and we've launched a stretch goal and that sometimes we have things in mind uh, that we want to do that we're raising money for. But this time it's mostly just uh, unlock new perks. And the more we have in the coffers, the more we can do that's awesome, like uh, forward print runs of comic books and such. The response this month has been really, really, really fantastic. You know, it was a very work intensive for us launching the new site and making sure that all this new programming comes out. So thanks so much for supporting us, guys. Mauron says monthly subscription and a D&D price of admission. Really, really generous guy who um, essentially feels that he, uh, for all this, this stuff we put out, he should pay a subscription fee. And then especially when D&D comes out, our tabletop role playing podcast. So that's really, really amazing. And we fucking love that. Big Bad Shadow Man is not just a champion all the time, but especially this month because he has really, 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 really been generous this month. And uh, hats off to you, dude. He says, uh, I see you guys might need to uh, jumpstart for Lightning Dogs, which I'm pretty sure is going to be the next (laughs) RPG podcast you'll do. (laughs) Our last episode of Nerdy Show, we accidentally fell into this tirade where we created an alternate universe version of Thundercats called Lightning Dogs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh <laughs> which uh, which brian was a part of and uh brian has, um, i've been meaning to talk, to talk to you about this for a couple of days that episode went over really well <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, we got two separate responses about this with money attached. So we're going to have to do, we're gonna have to do some more lightning dogs. Yo, I would wear a lightning dogs t-shirt. You know, you do the Thundercats logo, but like a dog. Well, and we, would... We've got, we've got the lightning dogs logo it was designed by uh, Stacy Baldini, Tony's wife. Yeah, I remember seeing that, but I'm saying I would wear that. Well, maybe, maybe we'll um, let us know if you want lightning dog shirts. We're going to be working <laughs> on, I think what we've arranged to do, I don't know that it's in stone yet, but there's definitely going to be more lightning dogs because everybody really loves it. Max Cree on Twitter, uh, he sent us three pieces of fan art already, and um, I think we're doing a double length uh, microsode, at least 30 minutes, if not 45 or so, dedicated to like more lightning dogs. <laughs> like the continuity and such. Um, w- well, I think I think it'll be kind of like last time. It'll be you and me and Tony and Doug and Hex spitballing, trying to figure out the rest of this mess. <laughs> All right. Um, So, and at the same time, uh, Big Bad and Hoodoo Voodoo contributed to Nerdy Show, supported us relatively on top of each other. And in doing so, both earned separate microsodes, which is where this double length is coming from. Because Hoodoo Voodoo said, portion towards a lightning dog microsode, and then um, gave double that amount in memory of Steve the Guard. (laughs) Do you remember Steve the Guard, Brian? Vaguely. He was a casualty of yours from (laughs) D&D. There's many. You have to narrow that down. (laughs) And uh, Big Bad, again, he said, here's five bucks for Ghostbusters Resurrection. Really like the episode, and I really like the title card. Uh, Ghostbusters Resurrection is our Ghostbusters RPG podcast. Season two just started, and it has episode art done by nerdy show fan Mattisam, which has just been great. Um, I don't know if you've seen it yet, Brian, but this guy, the stuff he's been doing for Ghostbusters... um, the finished work especially kind of goes toe-to-toe with what Shoning's doing on um, uh, the Ghostbusters comic. It's, it's really good. They're, they're getting the fan following that they deserve. That show is great. And Big Bad then supported us again. Uh, he says, for the many great years I've listened to you guys, happy Valentine's to everyone at the Nerdy Show Network. As for the microsode, because yes, he earned another microsode because he is a bala. Movies that have a perfect marriage of CGI and practical effects. RK has contributed to us, and he says, I usually do this at the end of the month, but fuck it. I loved the Valentine's Day episode of The Hex Grid. I just got off a really bad relationship, and alternate ending, which is a track from the episode, really resonated with my mood. And uh, Barry I said, love the new site design and the new format. Fantastic. Thanks, everybody, for contributing to the show. You do make this possible. The Nerdy Show Network and Nerdy FM, I might add. If you haven't checked out Nerdy FM, it's our 24-7 streaming nerd music radio station over at nerdy.fm. If you like nerdy music, if you like the music we play on Nerdy Show, you definitely should check it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, taking us out. We got a track called Kid Apocalypse Rising. And uh, I wish Hex was here so he'd give me a little bit more information on this, but I checked out this YouTube video, which we'll link to. It's by a rapper called Kid Apocalypse, and essentially it's part of a concept rap project, and uh, it looks as though the character of this rapper is in fact Kid Apocalypse from Uncanny X-Force and uh, Wolverine and the X-Men. That sounds awesome. It sounds like someone's like really into the comics, Uncanny X-Force. That's that's amazing. Yeah. You know, like Deadpool loves him. I mean, he's a good guy. <laughs> In the video, it's got him, like, riding in a car with a guy wearing, like, a 90s-era beast mask, smoking a cigarette out of the mouth hole, and <laughs> it's uh, it's good. You should check it out. That sounds really great, but I haven't checked it out yet. Go, go, to, the, go to the link on this episode's page. I think page, you've convinced me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks thanks so much for listening, guys. <laughs> Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Brian. Bye, I'm Aaron. Good night, I'm Adam. We How do you know it's night? I don't know. That's where I'm local. Uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> what?
enforcement Ain't got no famine or war I got the clothes on my back Got this heart and nothing more Adamantium skeletons Fire-breathing hellions Earth invading aliens And I'm severely trailing With all my artifice, you don't know why it is, but I'm Kid Apocalypse. Like a captain, I command the ships. You better watch out. I'm Kid Apocalypse. Like a staircase, I be busting your hips. You better watch out. I'm Kid Apocalypse. Dark angels and demons, like four seasons. I got my reasons. Some call it treason. Genesis, like the first book in the Bible. I'm the first kid to make life with your wild. Stick with me, kids, and you're sure to evolve. Set your minds to revolve around this riddle that I solved. Getting sent through the wire, like Quentin Quire. Your brain's a fire. This is Bartholomew Elfgar Gleeman. Thanks for listening to Nerdy Show. Nerdy Show is made possible by a comic shop, Nerdapalooza, and the generous support of listeners like you. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on the iTunes, or making a contribution to our monthly support drive. Or to your favorite Gleeman. Any size contribution gets you an exclusive Nerdy Show audio and images and lets you participate in our monthly support drives. Just go to nerdyshow.com slash support to chip in. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, Dungeons and Doritos, as well as other fine programming, community forums, videos, articles, and more, head on over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via the iTunes Store. And for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. Tune in via Crystal.